Well, good morning. Good morning. Um, I'm John, one of the pastors here at the church. For those of y'all that are new, um, like Mike shared before, we're so glad to have you here. So um, if you would, if you would just stand up as we read the text for the day. Uh, For the past month or so, we've been in a series in the book of Proverbs. And if you've ever read the book of Proverbs, it kind of feels like after the 10th chapter, that it's just a bunch of random proverbs that are scattered all over the place. Um, Because that's what it is, from 10 to the end of the book. It's random proverbs scattered, but they're put like that because life doesn't come at us nice and neat. Life comes kind of scattered, and you're not going to know when you're going to have to teach uh, those things. So what we have done the past few weeks is we've picked a topic that we're going to work through And so in a seat or in the seat close to you, there should be this card that's nice and laid out for you. And it's got all the scriptures for the day arranged, nice little fill in the blanks for those of you all that like that sort of thing. Um, So see, all right, we got a couple. Um, So what I'm going to do is I'm going to start off and I'm going to read and we're just going to go from left to right. So uh, read God's word with me. And it says this. Whoever loves discipline, loves knowledge. But the one who hates correction is stupid. That's pretty straightforward, right? A fool's way is right in his own eyes, but whoever listens to counsel is wise. A wise son responds to his father's discipline, but a mocker doesn't listen to rebuke. A fool despises his father's discipline, but a person who accepts correction is sensible. Arrogance leads to nothing but strife. But wisdom is gained by those who take advice. The first to state his case seems right until another comes and cross-examines him. A wise heart accepts commands, but foolish lips will be destroyed. If you stop listening to correction, my son, you will stray from the words of knowledge. Discipline is harsh for the one who leaves the path. The one who hates correction will die. A wicked person listens to malicious talk. A liar pays attention to a destructive tongue. A fool does not delight in understanding, but only wants to show off his opinions. The one who gives an answer before he listens, this is foolishness and a disgrace for him. One who listens to life-giving rebukes will be at home among the wise. Anyone who ignores Discipline despises himself, but whoever listens to correction acquires good sense. And here's the last verse that was left off of there. The fear of the Lord is what wisdom teaches, and humility comes before honor. Pray with me. Father, we thank you that you are a God that speaks. Help us to listen and to enjoy the rest that comes from learning your wisdom. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, I invite you to take a seat. Um, for those of y'all that don't know this about me, um, I've stuttered my whole life. So I grew up being in school uh, not wanting to speak up. If I knew the answer, I didn't raise my hand for them to call on me. I avoided eye contact when the teacher was trying to pick who was going to read out loud. There was just so many things that I did. I found myself reserved in social settings because I didn't want to speak up and embarrass myself. I was filled with all of this shame. And what I saw as a roadblock early on in life, I saw was really an advantage, right? They, they say that um, when you lose one sense, the other senses that you have are heightened. And I think that that works with speaking as well. That when you don't talk as much, uh, you tend to use your ears a whole lot more. And when you use your ears and listen, uh, you just kind of sit back and observe and watch people. And what you find out is there's a lot of people that can say really, really wise things, but they make really bad choices. So you learn not to evaluate 
wisdom by what somebody says, you learn to evaluate it by what somebody does. You observe how the world works, and you see that a lot of people make a lot of mistakes and say a lot of things that they wish that they could take back if they would have just sat back and thought just a little bit about what they said. I stuttered so I couldn't say anything without thinking. I had to think about it all. And I learned a valuable lesson then that I think God's word shares with us today. And that's this. When it comes to wisdom, right? We've talked about wisdom being the skill for living. How it is that we live well in this world. Your good character doesn't keep you from making bad choices. You need more than just to be a good person. You need to be wise. And when it comes to wisdom, this. Wisdom is always best taken in before it's given out. Wisdom is always best taken in before it's given out. Put another way, wisdom is measured by how well you listen, not how well you lecture. To put it another way, wisdom should always be ingested before it's suggested. That's going to be the main point. You're only as wise as you exercise the ability to listen and to hear. We live in a world that evaluates wisdom by how people use their words But when the Bible is going to talk about wisdom, wisdom is not about how well you use your words. It's about how well you use the words of other people. Wisdom, your life, the choices that you make, success in life is going to be measured. It's going to rise and fall on how well you listen. That's how our sheet is split up today, and I just want to kind of walk you through what our time's going to be like, and it's just this. Listening is going to be something that determines our identity, our destination. How you listen presents what really is starting to go on in your hearts, but it's also the key to solving the problems that we have. So let's start here with the first point. Uh, The first point is this. How you listen makes all the difference. How you listen makes all the difference. Um, I grew up playing sports my whole life, and what you'll find out is that people do some impressive things, right? And people that don't play sports or don't know the mechanics tend to focus on the results and try to... Emulate the result and not the reason why. So they'll see Steph Curry shoot from half court and they'll say, man, he must be really strong up top to be able to throw the ball that far. And you look at him and say, but he doesn't look that strong. Folks will see folks hit a home run out of the park and they say, man, if I want to do that, I've got to build up my strength up top. People will see a boxer knock somebody out and think, I'm not strong enough to throw a punch like that. But what you quickly find out is that if you are focusing on the upper body, you're paying attention to the exit of the force, but not the entrance of the force. If you want to shoot the ball far, it's all about how you use your legs, not how you use your arms. If you want to hit a home run, the power comes from your legs and your hips, not from your arms. If you want to throw a good punch and knock somebody out, the power comes from the floor, not from how strong you are up top. If you want to be wise, the power doesn't come from your words. It doesn't come from your mouth. It comes from how you use your ears. How you listen makes all the difference. Look here at those four verses. All of these talk about identity, right? You see those first two when it ends, right? Not with a conclusion, not with the outcome, not with the results, but this is all identity. Whoever loves discipline loves knowledge, but one who hates correction, and this word right here, is stupid. The 
Hebrew term for that word is a word ba'ar, and all that that means is um, they don't have much more sense than a child or an animal that continues to do the same thing over and over. But then it goes on and says this, a fool's way is right in his own eyes, but whoever listens to counsel is wise. And then those next two say, a wise son responds, but a fool despises. All of these are about identity. The way that you use your ears determines if you're going to live in this world wisely or if you're going to be a fool. Listening is the litmus test of wisdom. It's a plain point, and it's a quick one that we're going to move right through. But one of the good things about that point, one of the good things about those first two verses, 12.1 and 12.15, is this one word, and it says this, whoever. And what that means is if you're a person, then you're a who. If you're a who, then you're a whoever. If you're here right now, and you can hear, or you can read, or you can read sign language. If you're here and you have the ability to take in information and advice, you have the resources that you need to be wise. Wisdom is not about intelligence. It's not about eloquence. It's about your willingness to listen. And as far as the Bible goes, what makes all the difference is the way that you use your ears, your impediments if it comes, if, if it's a speech, one like I had, or you're just shy and you don't want to talk, all of those things are not roadblocks. They can be gifts from God in disguise for you to take a step back and listen. Listening, how you listen, makes all the difference because it shapes your identity. Here's why identities are important. Your identity is important because who you are determines where you'll end up. Your identity puts you on a road. It puts you on a pathway. And here's what I want you to know about roads. Roads go somewhere, but every road ends up somewhere. There are no roads, no bland pathways that spanned oceans. So if you leave and get on a road, regardless of how far it goes, that road is going to end somewhere. Spiritually, that's true as well. Who we are determines where we'll end up. And that's point two. How you listen doesn't just make all the difference if you're going to live in this world wisely or if you're going to be a fool, but how you live determines your destination or your destiny where it is that you'll end up. If you look at all the scriptures that we read through, one thing that you'll see is that as it talks about these outcomes and consequences, all of them seem bad and like warnings. Do you know why? Because all of them are bad and they're warnings. Because sometimes the way that we learn is by somebody saying, listen, you don't want to go there. And so as the book of Proverbs is going to talk about the benefits of heeding wisdom, he's constantly going to talk to a group of people who are very much like us, very confident in the things that we think and the things that we know, and our propensity isn't to listen too much, it's to listen too little. And look at the words that he says here. Here's the first one, 1310. Arrogance leads to nothing but strife. But wisdom is gained by those that take advice. Right? He doesn't use the words not listening. He'll use the words arrogance. And he contrasts that with those that take advice. Because the person that's proud is the person that thinks, I already know what this is. I already know what to do. I don't need anybody else to tell me how to make this choice. I don't need and, and, and anybody else to tell me where I'm wrong. I don't need and, and, and anybody else to tell me their perspective on how we deal with this conflict. 
And he's saying, if you have a group of folks that use their mouths more than they use their ears, the only thing that it's going to lead to is strife. Strife internally with ourselves. Strife externally with people. And strife eternally with God. Look here how the rest of them play out. The first to state his case seems right until another comes to cross-examine him. Right? That what he starts and he brings up here is that uh, how you listen determines your destination because premature conclusions are often a precursor or often a beginning to perverted justice. Premature conditions... Appreciate it, Tyson. Are often a precursor to perverted justice. And he was it. look. Your initial conclusions about things, regardless of how confident you are in them, can often be wrong. And it is a danger to make an objective judgment, a certain judgment on limited information. Right? He's going to use these words to give us the picture of a court case. We've all seen how justice has been miscarried by people who only heard one side of a story and put folks in jail. In 2015, Kathy Woods was released from a 34-year imprisonment as a result of DNA evidence. In 1979, She was convicted of a murder. She was mentally unstable. And so she confessed to a three-year-old murder. The police, who had no other evidence but the confession that she made as a, a mentally ill person, put her in jail. She's in jail, 34 years passed, and in 2014, they take the DNA evidence evidence of the crime scene and what they found out was that the person that was at the crime scene that actually committed the murder was a male. So they find this guy who had been convicted of attempted murder years ago. They put him in jail and they let her free. As a result of a premature conclusion, an innocent person was in jail And a guilty person that could have done much more harm was set free. I bring all of that up to say, relationally, some of us have innocent people in jail because we're so convinced of the one side of things that we saw that there's no doubt in our minds that they're guilty and they deserve our wrath. Do you see how it brings strife if you don't Listen, if you don't hear. It brings strife because when you find yourself in a conversation or in the midst of a conflict and you have somebody that's relaying information about how that conflict went on, nobody gives an unbiased report. It's not saying that we as people are trying to deceive people. It's just saying we as people forget things. We as people, when we're relaying information about what somebody said or what they did, we don't just relay the information and the facts. We relay our interpretation of the facts, their emotions, their intent. We don't even say the same words the way that they said it. We said the same words the way that we think that they meant it. And not saying, right, it's not saying we do this on purpose. It's just saying we do this. And if you're going to form a conclusion without doing as best as you can to listen to all of the data, it's only going to cause strife. Here it is. In relationships, if you come to premature conclusions, it is relational suicide. Jumping to conclusions is relationally jumping off of a cliff. 
it doesn't work out. And so he warns us that the way that we listen is going to affect the way that we live. Look here at the last three when it comes to the outcome. A wise heart accepts commands, but foolish lips right here will be destroyed. 1927, if you stop listening to correction, my son, you will stray from the words of knowledge. 1510, discipline is harsh for the one who leaves the path. The one who hates correction will die, will be destroyed, will stray from knowledge, will die. He's trying to help us see that the way that we listen, how we use our ears, is going to determine how we end up. And if we're intent on trusting ourselves and not listening, then it's going to end up in strife. And and you know that this is true. You felt what it's like to be mad at somebody for so long and then to realize that you didn't have the whole story. You know what it's like for somebody to be mad at you. And you're begging, no, no, just just listen. And if they won't listen, that conflict stays. To listen is correction. It's the medicine that we need. And here's why he says the person that avoids it, the person that avoids correction, will die. Have you ever seen a kid um, that's about to get a shot from a doctor and they lose it? They run around, they're juking their parents, spin moves, all of that stuff. And they do their best to try to dodge the doctor. Why? Because they know that that shot's going to hurt. And so what they do is this. They prioritize their feelings over their future. Every so often you'll find a kid that's really fast and really strong and he'll dodge it and and they'll just give up. All right, I'm done. We're going to have to try this later. And the kid in his mind thinks, I won because I didn't get hurt. But everybody else that sees what went on says, you lost. Because though you aren't hurt now, everybody that strays from that path of getting that shot that they need will be destroyed. They will, they will get hurt. If you prioritize your feelings over your future when it comes to listening to correction and the hard things, you jeopardize your future health. It leads to a dead end. Some of us view correction like that. Some of us view those hard words as if they'll be the death of us. We view statements from somebody about you're wrong, you need to be corrected, you haven't seen this the wrong way. We try to avoid it at all costs and we're defensive against it because we feel like it'll be the death of us and what the text is saying right here is, no, 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 no. Words of correction are never the death of you. It's avoiding the words of correction that will end up being the death of you. It leads to a dead end. 1927, drop down here, it says this, look. If you stop listening to correction, my son, you will stray from the words of knowledge. Words of correction when somebody comes and tells us, hey, I don't think that you have this the wrong way. It's like a compass. And a compass is not just good for people that have no sense of direction. A compass is helpful for people that have a great sense of direction because nobody has a perfect sense of direction. So I can know where north is and do my best to try to walk north in a straight line but the wind blows and I'm going to move off and my feet are like I'm flat footed. So I'm not going to walk straight like there's all these types of things that can sidetrack you. And it's the same thing with wisdom. You can have a sense of where you ought to go, but it's these words of correction that serve as a compass that somebody else can come alongside and say, hey, not that way, this way. Hey, I know that you 
think that God's word says this. Hey, but I think this is the point that he's trying to get at. Hey, I know that you're mad and upset at them. I know you think you know your spouse's intention, but what if that wasn't the case? Hey, I know that somebody said something to you and you're ready to call them a racist or accuse them of prejudice, but maybe they're just ignorant. And to the extent that we're willing to at least listen and hear folks out, God's word says this, yo, that's the way to life and peace. Changing your destination is all about how you listen. Here's one way to listen well. When you find yourself involved in a conflict, before you jump to conclusions or before you start sharing how you feel, bathe every conflict that you get involved in in questions. Comprehension is your friend. Here's some good questions to ask when you find yourself in conflict. Just sitting and talking to some, I'm about to say, hey, can you describe to me what you feel is the biggest hurdle in our relationship right now. Help me understand what you mean when you say X. I, I hear you saying that I had offended you in this way. Is that correct? What was the most important thing you were trying to get across? What do you want me to leave with? And what you quickly find out is that um, there's more ways to contribute to a conversation than by making statements. You can contribute to a conversation and relationship by asking questions. Yeah, I had a group of guys um, here in the church. We met every Thursday morning for a time for breakfast for three years. And we talked about life and God's word and all this stuff. And um, I know they won't be mad at me sharing this. Or I think that they won't be mad at me sharing this. Maybe I should have asked them. I asked one of them. Well, here we go. <laughs> Early on, as we started to like talk, um, what I found out was that somebody would say something. And then the next person would say Oh, yeah, that kind of reminds me of the time that I did this. And then the next person said, well, that reminds me of the time that I did this. The next person said, well, that reminds me. And what you found out was that we would spend our times volleying how what somebody said related to us. And the conversation didn't move forward. There's a term for this, and it's called conversational narcissism. It's a group of people trying to have a conversation with earplugs. And whenever they hear the faintest thing that relates to them, they think the best way to relate to somebody is not to listen further, but to tell them about what went on with them. So what we did in our times was we said, hey, all right, each week we're all going to pick somebody. And so it was like, all right, hey, Mike, this week you can make zero declarative statements. Every statement that you make has to be a question. And so first folks were like, well, do you want me to just be quiet? And then it's like, no. It's saying there's more ways to contribute to a relationship than sharing your opinion. Sometimes a good question can draw out what is going on in our hearts. This is what God does with us. And I think that's helpful advice, right? That's good stuff for us to write down and say, that's been my problem. I haven't asked the right questions. I'm going to go home and ask questions and listen to what folks say. And this is really going to change how I live and it's going to make me wise. And I would say, kind of. How we listen does shape who we are. How we listen does determine where we end up, but how we listen also gives us, and this is point three, a diagnosis of what the true problem is. 
The true problem is not that you just don't have the practical advice that you need. If you go to a doctor, what they'll do, if you're like, yo, I'm, I'm not right, they'll ask you a few questions, they'll run a few tests, and then what they'll do is they'll diagnose what's wrong with you. They'll diagnose your sickness, not by looking at your sickness, but by looking at your symptoms, that your symptoms reveal something about what's wrong. So when it's the same right here, look here at this this first one, right? How we listen gives us a diagnosis as to what's really wrong. And it says this, a wicked person listens to malicious talk. A liar pays attention to a destructive tongue. Now, this should catch us off guard because the book of Proverbs thus far has determined a fool or a wicked person as somebody that doesn't listen. He doesn't listen. He doesn't take advice. He doesn't use his ears. He always will use his mouth. But then it says here, no, a wicked person does listen. What does he listen to? Malicious talk. A destructive tongue. Look at this. He doesn't pay attention to words of correction when they come at him. But he pays attention to words of correction when they're aimed at somebody else. And he loves to hear it. Look here at this next one. A fool does not delight in understanding, but only wants to show off his opinion. His delight isn't in knowing the truth. It's in his influence. The one who gives an answer before he listens. This is foolishness and a disgrace for him. Before I talk about what this reveals, I just want to give a couple of diagnostic questions so that we can decide in the book of Proverbs, when it comes to how I hear, do I use my ears like a wise person or like a fool? Here's a couple of diagnostic questions. Here's the first one. As we spent the past 30 minutes thus far, do you wish that somebody that you knew heard this message? Have you thought more about what you need to tell them that you learned here today than how what you've learned will apply to your own life? If you have, this may be you. One of the ways that you can find out if this is you is go home and ask your spouse, your roommate, or your best friend, am I a good listener? Is it easy for me to accept correction? As they give their answer, if you immediately think of ways to rebut what they've said, they don't really know, chances are this Maybe you. If you don't have anyone in your life that you can trust enough to be confident in the answer that they can give, it may be because you've isolated yourself and nobody can speak in. This may be you. Ask yourself this. How often do you interrupt people when they talk? An interruption just says, my words and what I have to say is more important than what you have to say. How often do you find yourself in conflict and you get to a point where even when they're trying to explain, you say or you think, I don't want to hear another word. I don't need you to explain anything. I I already know. This may be you. And I would guess that everybody in the room can say one of those things is, yeah, that's that's me. Here's why that's telling, and I want you to see what the uh, diagnosis of all this is. Listening, at the end of the day, is in itself an act of humility. It's you saying, there is something that I do not know, do not 
understands, I'm not aware of, it's me saying, I acknowledge the limitations that I have, and I'm going to put myself under you to hear what you have to say. In this moment, your words are more important than mine. To listen is you and I, this, look, it's us embracing the inadequacy that lies in us as humans. It's just saying, I don't have all that I need right now. I need something from outside. I'm not trying to elevate myself. This is why Proverbs 17.4, right, that first one, that a wicked person listens to malicious talk. A liar pays attention to a destructive tongue. It's so bad is because if the only time you really listen and pay attention to somebody is when they're being torn down, it reveals likely there's some shame on the inside of you. And the only way that you can feel better about yourself is to compare yourself to somebody that has failed and say, ah, well, at least I'm better than them. 18.2. A fool does not delight in understanding, but only wants to show off his opinions. It's lacking the humility to stand under the voice of somebody else. It's feeling empty on the inside and thinking the only way I can fulfill the emptiness and the shame I have on the inside is by being helpful to somebody else and telling them what they need to do. The problem, y'all, isn't practical tools that we need to be more effective communicators. The problem is not tools that we need to be able to hear folks better. The problem is, is pride. And so here's what pride does. Pride makes us believe that it's the antidote to the shame and the inadequacy that we feel on the inside. A humility is us embracing the fact that we're needy, that we have boundaries, that we need something outside of ourselves to live better. What pride says is you don't need to embrace your inadequacy. What you need to do is you need to erase your inadequacy. You need to do all that you can to prove that you're not as worthless on the inside as you may feel sometimes. The real problem is a heart that's proud. How we listen reveals who we are, where we'll end up, what's really going wrong. But here's the beauty. How we listen is also the very thing, point four, that can make us different. Look there at Proverbs 15, 31 to 33. One who listens to life-giving rebuke will be at home among the wise. Anyone who ignores discipline despises himself, but whoever listens to correction acquires good sense. The fear of the Lord is what wisdom teaches. You may look here and say, well, wait a minute, John. You said pride was our problem, but verse, this text here says, uh, in verse 32, anyone who ignores discipline despises himself. If pride is our problem, then pride is that we love ourselves too much. And here it clearly says that this person hates himself. And don't you see that? Look, to love yourself too much, as far as scripture is concerned, is to hate yourself. To love yourself too much is to make an idol out of yourself. And what that does is it diminishes the worth of God. To love yourself is to think of yourself so important that you reject what God himself says about the way that we should live. And as we reject the way that we should live, do you know what we don't get? God. 
So to love ourselves too much is to hate ourselves because we keep from ourselves the very thing that we need to find rest in this life and not constantly have to work, not constantly having to seek validation. You go back in the Bible and what you find is that God is a speaking God. So when God saves Israel from out of bondage, do you know what God gives them? The Ten Commandments, words. I want you to listen and to do this. The Apostle Paul is going to say these laws, these words, these instructions that God gave us were twofold. It was meant to show you and I something about us and something about God. It was meant to show us how perfect God was, how holy God was, how loving and kind God was that he would speak to us. And it was meant to show you and I our flaws, to show that we could never live up to that standard. God's words were meant to make us see him as holy and to humble us. But here's what the human heart does. It sees God's word as something that stands in the way of what it is that I want. And so what we say is God is not as loving, as holy, as good as he is. And I'm not as bad as God says that I am. And that's not to fear God. That's to replace what God had said. That we think the solution for the inadequacy that we feel is to erase it by disagreeing with what God says and living how we want to. But I want you to hear this. The way that we deal with the pride in our hearts is not by trying to erase the inadequacy, but embracing it. It's by listening to what God has to say. Luke Chapter 22, it's going to be up here on the screen. Jesus is getting ready to go to the cross and look at what he says to Peter. Simon, Simon, look out. Satan has asked to sift you like wheat, but I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And you, when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. Jesus is getting ready to go to the cross and in front of everybody, Jesus tells Peter, you're weaker than you think that you are. But I've prayed for you. I've loved you. My love for you is not contingent on how shameful you behave at times. Do you know what Peter does? He does what we do. He doesn't listen. He doesn't want to be accepted on that basis. He doesn't want God's pity. He wants his respect. And so look at what he says. Lord, he told him, I'm ready to go with you to prison and to death. He's saying, keep your prayers, keep your pity. I'm going to show you that I have nothing to be ashamed of. I'm going to stand with you until the end. And isn't that what we do, y'all? Whenever we try to earn God's love by keeping his law, say, no, 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 God, you're really going to love me because this is really the last time that I'm going to do it. It's us not listening to God about how good he is and how flawed we are. And every time that you and I try to improve our value in the sight of God, do you know what we actually do? We cheapen his love. We give God a reason for why he should love somebody like us. Jesus does not back off. Look what he says to him. I tell you, Peter. It's not just that you're going to deny me. Peter, it's nighttime right now. And you're not even going to make it till sunrise before you do it three times. So he comes back and says, no, 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 Peter. You're actually much worse than you thought that you were. Yo, this is the front door into Christianity and into peace with God. Humility comes before the honor that he gives. 
What the Bible helps us see is that you may have come to grips with it. Man, I'm a bad person. There's things that I've done on the inside. Why do I have these thoughts? All right, I just need to change. But what the Bible is going to tell us is that no, 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 no. You're actually much worse than you think that you are. You have no clue the bottom. You have no clue what your life would have been like if the Lord had not kept his restraining hand on you. And if we won't listen, God in his grace, look what he'll let us get just a taste of it. Look here at the end, verse 60. But Peter said, man, I don't know what you're talking about. The third time he denies Christ. Immediately, while he was still speaking, a rooster crowed. And and look, then the Lord turned and looked at Peter. He's an eyeshot of Jesus when he says this. So Peter remembered the word of the Lord, how he had said to him, before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. And he went outside and wept bitterly. Jesus says Peter is worse than he thought that he was. Peter doesn't want to listen. Jesus gives him an opportunity to experience it. And when Peter finally does, do you know what Jesus does not do? He doesn't come down on the cross, off the cross, and Peter, I told you so, should be ashamed of yourself. That's it, I'm not going to do this. You weren't strong enough. Do you know what he does? He goes through with it, and he stays there on the cross so that you and I see, look, if we would embrace our shame, the things that cause us shame, we would know that our shame does not disqualify us from God's love. Our imperfections are not being able to live up to the standards that we set on ourselves, to the standards that somebody else has on us, that does not make God love us any less. It's actually in you and I embracing our shame, embracing the worst about us, that we really get to see the depths of God's love. And that that frees us from feeling like we have to erase our shame. Jesus' death on the cross was meant to do this. Sam Alberry puts it the best where he says this. If I am the kind of person that Jesus says I am, then my only hope is if he is the kind of person that he says he is. Do you know the funny thing about that story with Peter? is after Christ dies and raises from the grave, Peter is a different person. He seems bold. He seems ready to go to death. He seems changed because God has changed. He's experienced this freedom that comes from knowing that my sinfulness, when when my life was characterized by the worst about me, that didn't keep God from loving me and sending his son to save me. And the security that he has changes him. Uh, It changes him so much that he's able not just to receive these words of correction from God himself, but to receive it from people. In Galatians chapter 2, This same Peter that was a bastion of faith found himself fearing people and shrunk back in a form of racial or ethnic prejudice. This Peter that was a pillar of the church had to be confronted to his face by somebody that says, yo, Peter, you're not walking in step with the gospel. And judging on the outcome of how that book ends, Peter listened. He embraced the correction because at the end of the day, he knew. Though there was this shame inside of him, this shame was not a roadblock to God's love. This shame was actually the pathway for him to see the true value of God's love.
that the reminders that we get from time to time of our sinfulness in this life, it doesn't mean that God is angry with us. In this world, where our sinfulness is still present and creeps out, but Jesus' physical presence is absent, it reminds you and I that God loves us, but we are never to think of God's love apart from what Jesus has done for us. To think of us being people that have earned God's love will only make us those that are prideful. And being prideful is the equivalent to having spiritual earplugs. If Jesus really did share preemptively the worst about Peter, and died to show him a love that he couldn't imagine. And he was freed through that. I want you to know it's through that same embracing of what Jesus Christ has done for us that frees you and I not to have our identity rise and fall on our need for correction. It frees us to be secure, to know Although one day God will complete me and perfect me in this life right now, I'm needy, I'm dependent, I need help, I need wisdom, I need correction. And so we spend our lives taking it in before we give it out. The best way that we can put this into practice, the last few blanks on your page, is this. That if we're really confident in what Christ has done for us, we're really confident that we don't have to erase our shame, but we can embrace it. The fact that we don't know all, that we would do this. We would listen more than we lecture, and we would listen before we lecture. You and I are free to be exactly who we are. And to use our ears more than we use our mouth. Wisdom is not about how you use your words. But it's the effectiveness of others' words on you. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that um, in Jesus Christ, we hear the worst about ourselves. So that we can hear the best about you, Father. Would you remind us that as your word and as your people give us correction, it's not meant for us to hate ourselves, Lord. To hate ourselves would be pride in reverse. It would be us, Lord, putting the focus on ourselves. Lord, I pray at the end of the day that the words of correction that we receive in relationships, in friendships, in our marriage, at the end of the day would cause us to humble ourselves and lift you up, Father. Would you help us to be those that aren't gripped with pride, but those who are at home among the wise, being willing to hear correction in any form that it comes in. Give us grace to live in that way. It's in Jesus' name we pray.